Baron and I are back on Grace to Stand, and as we kicked off last week, we are starting a month or so in the concept and topic of worship. And so just as a uh, refresher, last week we talked about how worship is basically how creature is meant to relate to creator, how us as a people relate to our God. And so it very much is about relationship and the reason it's a multi-week endeavor is because we can never really plumb the depths of of what worship is. But what we want to do is start off with more formally what is thought of worship, and that is is corporate worship. And so as as we've said, I mean there's family worship and there's all life worship and and we worship God as we are enjoying him forever in all that we do. But there is a special time set apart in the life of the covenant community for corporate gathered worship. And so for Christians, we call that the Lord's Day, and we're going to obviously get into all that. But chapter 21 of the Westminster Confession, so more solemnly in public assemblies, which are not carelessly or willfully to be neglected or forsaken when God by his word or providence calls us to that. And so there is still this idea that we come together in worship, Darren. And as we've said, you know, for the Christian, that fourth commandment, the Sabbath commandment, becomes the Lord's Day. And we've done episodes on that. But what are some introductory con- uh, introductory concepts or remarks you would have to make about why Christians come together on the Lord's Day? Well, I think uh, there there are just so many reasons for that. But, you know, I, I, there's a there's a great quote that I remember from Matthew Henry, the great Puritan and commentator on Scripture, and he says that when we take God for our God, we take his people for our people. And so, in other mm. words, we are not just saved merely into Christ individually, although that although we certainly are. We are saved into Christ individually, but we are saved into God's people, and we're bound for uh, the promised land where we will with all of God's people, uh, be glorifying and enjoying him forever. So gathered worship on the Lord's Day is is preparatory for that, and it also is a foretaste of that. And, uh, and, it, and it equips us to be worshipers of God in spirit and in truth, as we go throughout the ordinary tasks of our week. So, you know, it's it's very easy for us to to get into the the sort of rhythm of of modern life where we think that Monday morning is the beginning of the new week because that is the beginning of the work week, but really the beginning of the week is Sunday, the the Lord's day. And so we gather for worship on the Lord's Day uh, at the beginning of the week. And what we're doing there is we're, we're sitting under the Word of God. We're, we're hearing it preached. We're, we're reading it together collectively. We're confessing our sins together collectively. We're being renewed by God's grace. We're singing his praises. We're singing the truth of Scripture 
we're giving of our tie of God's tithes and our offerings. We're returning the 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 gifts that He's given. We're 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 giving Him His due for the 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 uh, the the propagation of the gospel and the 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 flourishing of the church. And and that's how we begin our week. So that as we go through Monday and Tuesday and the following days, we're we're doing the same thing in our ordinary life. So mm. so what I said last week was that gathering for worship on the Lord's Day with God's people, and and uh, and being edified by those ordinary means of grace, which we'll talk about later on. Um, is is sort of the the hub from which the spokes of all of our life of worship flow. I love that. I love you saying that. Yes, that's that's such a great illustration and analogy. And so, yes, for the Christian, the first day of the week is is when we rest. And I think that really is supposed to set up the the paradigm for the Christian life that we are resting and receiving. That's uh, what our confession says about what, what faith is, that we're resting and receiving in, mm-hmm. in Christ's work on our behalf. And so rather than working a hard week and then resting, we rest first, and that fuels us and fills us up for the rest of the week, as right. Darren we is saying. In the gospel, ultimately, in the gospel, we rest in it, right? Which is which is where we express our our, our faith in Christ— the faith that that God gives to us, He implants in us, and He enables us to to employ. But that faith is first a rest in the work, the person in the work of Jesus Christ, and in response to that, to 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 His work for us, we work. But but before it's work, it's rest. And and so the the whole week starts off that way, right? With the Lord's Day being a day of rest and worship. Yes, and and I think what's neat about that is because Hebrews four, you know, tells us, you know, we have our our rest, we have our Sabbath rest in Christ. And many people say, well, then that then spiritualizes the Sabbath completely for the Christian, but it's still a commandment in the Ten Commandments, and so we we have to. We have to do something with that. It still has to have some kind of relevance. And I think it's because we're not Gnostics. We're not this this hard separation between body and soul. And so as we rest physically and then have physical energy for the tasks ahead, we also are resting spiritually, which helps us to then walk by faith throughout the week. And so there's both a spiritual component and a physical or material component to that. And it's really hard for modern people, particularly type A people like myself, like I don't like to rest. I do like to rest, but I don't like to rest. You know what I mean? It's like, I want to be going, I want to be doing, I want to be accomplishing. Like, like Sunday is, you said it the other day and it really resonated with me. It's almost like it it can become or has become Saturday part two. And so there's all this stuff that I need to get done, want to get done, uh, fixing things, building things, working on things, uh, preparing for things. And there's there's just all this stuff that we have to do. And even that becomes, you know, sort of cyclical, like the week becomes cyclical. It just never seems to end. And yet, yet God gives us this time and says, no, rest, receive, recharge, restore, 
it really fights against our uh, what's in our nature. Think about the way that God made us, right? Like we spend, I don't know, if, if you're doing what the experts say you ought to do, you get, you're getting eight hours of sleep every night. That's that's a substantial that's a substantial uh, amount of doing nothing throughout the course of the day. I mean that's that's a, yeah that's a third of your day where you're unconscious unconscious. <laughs> you're just laying there you know like a rock, <laughs> and uh, and then it just reminds us that we are we're body and soul people. And we are contingent people. In other words, we're dependent on we have we have needs. We have needs, and one of those needs is rest. I mean, you can't you can't just not sleep. You you can't you're not a machine. You can't you can't just not do that. You have to sleep. Um, and the the Lord's Day, it's not so much that it's meant to be just this day of idleness and doing and doing nothing. Like you go to, you 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 go and you go worship and then you come home and and all you can do is this all day is is just you know like this nothing. It's it's more of a um, but but our it it's a reminder that our bodies need that rest and and so it is a day to kind of rejuvenate our bodies. Um, and our souls to to be resting in God and all that He is for us in Christ, um, in our souls, but also to be resting our bodies because there's just so much that um, goes on throughout the course of our day to day life and our week that that we need that rest in order to 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 be able to 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 have the fortitude to go on and and accomplish all those other aspects of worship as well right so, right and the confession actually deals with that right it talks about the the sin of idleness on the on the lord's day and so it's not meant to be like a day of vegetation there there's right it's it because our rest is directed toward god you know it to is. the to the creator yes he's the one who's filling us up you know even when you think of how they root this back in creation it's God created in six days and then he rests on the seventh. Well, who is he with? Like it, it's, it's fellowship and communion with his create creation, you know, with humanity. And so that's brings us to why we gather. Uh, which is, which can uh, I, before we, yeah. before we go to that, that's, that's a good point because you know, this, this whole idea of a Sabbath, I mean, because you, you were right, you're mentioning that Hebrews four passage where, Christ is our Sabbath rest. So many people take that to be, you know, if you're resting in Christ, that's that's really what it means to obey the fourth commandment. And the Sunday can, you know, the Lord's Day is is not so much about um, that that rest and, and setting it apart in that way. Um, but God, it, it, the, the, the Lord's Day, the, the Sabbath is a creation ordinance, right? In other words, that when when God created the world, he rested on the seventh day 
he created the world in six days. He rests on the seventh day, and that's embedded into the rhythm of of life. And that happens all before the fall. So this isn't this isn't like some product of the fall. This isn't something that we need because we're fallen creatures. If if sin right. had never entered into the world, that we would still be working. We would st it wouldn't be toilsome. We would still be working, but we would still have that day of rest. And uh, so it is a perpetual thing because it's a creation ordinance and it's something that we need to, to remember that we cannot just be machines, no matter how type A and work oriented you are, setting apart, apart the Lord's day to be dedicated and different, dedicated to the Lord to be different in a day of, of physical and spiritual rest is really uh, something that God gives us for our own uh, benefit. Yes. And so, how, you know, how do we get to this concept of of worship on the Sabbath? Because we're trying mm -hmm. to talk about corporate worship sure. here is that that's just the model we that's just the model we see in the New Testament. Now, we knew that we right. know that the Jews, I mean, they were commanded to rest on the Sabbath and that was the seventh day. And yet uh, both in their extra biblical writings and in scripture, we see on, on the Sabbath, there was gathering at the at the synagogue. There was God's people coming together and certainly uh, around festivals uh, around the temple. But in Acts chapter 20 in the New Testament church, it says on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread. <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. so there, there's, you know, sometimes people are saying, well, where in scripture does it say I have to X, Y, Z? But the Bible often doesn't teach in overt imperatives. It teaches by patterns and rhythms also. by So the narrative portions of scripture show what is expected. And so we have this concept of the first day of the week. Of course, we hear of that when Mary Magdalene came to the tomb on the first day of the week. And so then the Christians are gathered on the first day of the week. And, and as it started off as a religion out of Judaism, the further we get from that separation with Judaism, they stop meeting in the synagogues. And they are meeting on the first day of the week. And, of course, we, we see that called in the New Testament, the Lord's Day. And you even see that right. in Revelation. Like, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, John says. Right. Mm -hmm. And so there, 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 is, there is a transition that happens. And, 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 but not just and for vegetating. Too, right. It, it's very right, it is, it, like this. This it, the eleventh commandment came down from heaven, and and it said now it's going to be on on Sunday. It was it was organic because because we're 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 resting in the the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Right, uh, it, right. Yes. Um, I didn't mean to derail you, but I just no, to... no, no, no. You, yeah, no, I mm. thought that was a good point. Or yeah. Paul in First Corinthians sixteen two on the first day of every week, uh, and talks about a collection being taken, and so things occurring mm -hmm. on the first day of the of the week uh, oriented toward corporate worship. Uh, in Acts chapter two, we see that they gather together and in, in, in for the breaking of bread and to hear the apostles teaching and for the prayers and songs, and so we have worship. Hebrews 13, of course, do not neglect uh, the gathering together as some are used to. And so when you read the New Testament, you can't get around the fact that the first day of week was uh, the, new, the new Sabbath in the church. It was how the church viewed honoring the Lord's day or honoring the, the fourth commandment and the Lord's day uh, became that. And that it included and very much was centered around the gathering of the body. 
with some kind of structure there, a, a polity, to hear the word of God, to break bread, which is reference to the sacraments. And we're going to talk about that in upcoming episodes, that, that ordinary means of grace. But hopefully we've made the point that because this is a, an outflowing of what we see in the Ten Commandments, and as you've said, it goes back to creation. And whether you're talking about the period of creation to the Ten Commandments or the Ten Commandments after, God wants to be approached a certain way. And mm -hmm. so when we gather for worship, there is a way that we do that. And what uh, what are some thoughts you have on that? You know, we approach God in reference to the ways in which he reveals himself in his word. So how does he show himself to be? He shows himself to be, you know, holy, holy, holy. We worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness, and we tremble before him. The whole earth trembles before him. Um, he is... Uh, he is high and lifted up. He is the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. He is transcendent. His name and his word are above all things. And so, and so we don't approach the Lord on the Lord's Day with some sort of casual, Jesus is my BFF um, a, a type of the type of mindset where we we just approach him in 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 the same way that we would approach you know our our best buddy because our best our, our friends are 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 more equals in that re, in that respect we're we're approaching the 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 one true and living god and we are completely dependent upon him and he is dependent upon no one or nothing you know, God is infinite and eternal and unchangeable in his being and wisdom and power and holiness and justice and goodness and truth. And with that respect, we don't approach him casually. Yet at the same time, he is the one who has come for us. He he is the one who was born in a filthy cattle stall. He is the one who has borne our iniquities and our diseases. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Like he has borne our sins in his body and his soul. He is the one who took a little child on his lap, on his knee, who a child who had nothing, you know, really of earthly value to offer him and said, let the little children come to me. So there's this high and lifted up holy God, but there's this God that's also very warm and and says, you know, calls us to cast all of our burdens upon him because he cares for us. And he is a God who loved us and gave himself for us, as Paul says in Ephesians. And, you know, we can approach God not with a sense of, of casual, uh, not some sort of casual disposition, but as a father but a, a father that's, even if you had the best father in the world, a far better father than him, right? A, a, a father mm. who um, will never cast you out. A father who is like the the father of the prodigal son who, who, who takes you in with open arms and wraps his arm around you and puts the, the robe on and prepares a feast. Um, this is a God who loves you. So you can... So, th so there's that tension, right? And we come to him and worship with that that tension 
he's not high and lifted up as if he's distant from us and just ready to push the red button every time we screw up. He is holy, but he's also merciful. He's merciful and just. And right. and and that's how that's how we approach him with that tension in view. Right. And that's why in reformed churches we have uh, a, a more strict view of what we can do in worship. And so we call this the regulative principle of worship, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as opposed to what you see in churches that have m more looseness there, which uh, th that would be typically called the normative principle of worship. But the regulative principle of worship says we only do in worship what God has told us to do in worship. We obviously commanded us to do, but again, there's no like, there's no formulaic list that's just laid out. This is only what is done in worship. We have to discern that from the body of scripture. The normative principle will say you could do anything in worship unless some, unless it's forbidden. Um, but where we as, as, as reformed people understand this, it flows from the holiness of God and God's strictness about being worshiped, how he's told us to worship him, not by the devices of, of men. And so you see this, by the way, before the law is even given, in in uh, in Exodus, you see it in Genesis chapter four with Cain and Abel bringing sacrifices to the Lord, and one sacrifice uh, was pleasing to God, and one one wasn't. And often people are confused about, well, how were they supposed to know? And obviously, there there is things not in the text uh, that we we don't know the full the full thing. I, I do believe it was more than simply one's heart was right and one's heart was wrong. I believe there should have been some discernment or God expected some discernment in there about what the sacrifice was to be. And so when we when we get to the law of God in Moses and you have not just the Ten Commandments, there is there's an expectation you're going to follow both the letter and the spirit. And so with the high places, you know, many people, a lot of the high places that Israel worshipped on were devoted to pagan deities like like Baal and Ashtoreth, but not all of them, because when Israel's worship wasn't initially centralized, there's passages early on, I think in the book of Judges, that, that speak, you know, it was almost like families had their own family high place where they worshipped Yahweh on them. And God says, I don't want to be worshipped on those places. I'm going to be worshipped here, you know. In Deuteronomy, it speaks about... Uh, don't make images because when I brought you out of Egypt, you saw no image. So I don't want you to make an image whereby you'll worship me by that image, you know? And so God has very clear instructions on the kind of incense that they could burn in, you know, in, in the, in the mosaic times. And when they burned strange fire on, you know, he, it didn't, it upset God. And so what is the, it's not like God's holiness goes away because Jesus Christ pays the price for our sins. He is, it's all the more now that we are given new hearts to desire God um, as he is, we have to then want to worship him and treat him as, as he wants to be worshiped and, and treated. And, the last thing I'll say on that before I turn it over is just in, in the in the congregation, what I tell my people is, you know, it's like my wife, like she knows my heart loves her, but I still need to approach her in relationship the way she wants to be approached. You know, right. I don't, I, I did this once and I, I've never done it again, but I, I don't, I don't come up behind her because I think it's cute and playful and give her a wet willy because I did that once and I recognized like I may think it's playful, me, right? but 
Yeah. Right. <laughs> I may think it's playful, but if, if, if she's not going to receive it that way, it doesn't matter what my supposed intention was. And sometimes I think this is where congregants that we're uncomfortable with. <laughs> like sometimes I think it's like we're giving wet willies to God and we're wondering why he's upset about it, you know? Right. So, yeah. It, All right. So I, I said a lot there. Go for it. Well, no, you're 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 absolutely right. I mean, you see in the Old Testament, um, you know, some very you, know, you get into to Leviticus and places like that. You see very specific ways in which God wanted the temple built and how big such and such a thing was supposed to be and how it was supposed to be layered and 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 yeah, like the all the ceremonial laws that you mentioned and those have been fulfilled in Christ, right? And so there's definitely some sort of discontinuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Worship in the Old Testament. Uh, looks differently than worship in the new covenant after the the death and resurrection and ascension of, of Jesus Christ. However, uh, the, there there are still principles uh, that we look to in in Scripture and those ceremonial laws, those worship, those laws regulating worship in the old covenant. Um, pointed to something that we can replicate in the new covenant. We don't replicate them, of of course, in in exact form because they have been fulfilled in Christ, but they point to something, right? They point to something, they, they point to the holiness of God. They, At the very least, they point to the holiness of God and they point to the fact that God is to be worshiped in the way that God has determined that he's to be worshiped rather than in the way that we, however we want to approach him. And so uh, that sort of turns our attention to the Lord's Day. And what do we see in worship on the Lord's Day? We see, we something, we see something very simple in the New Covenant, in the New, the New Testament in worship. We see that worship in, uh, on this side of the death and resurrection of Christ includes things like the reading of the word, the singing of the word, the praying of the word, the 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 hearing of the word, the celebration of of the, uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper, uh, giving uh, um, our offerings and God's tithes, uh, and things like uh, vows. So taking membership vows would be uh, part of the 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 service of worship, the gathering of worship. Um, those were those would be elements of of worship that it, you know you you mentioned um you know the, the regular principle being you know we have we have a, a stricter view of it uh because the regular principle meaning that it's scripture alone that regulates how we are to worship um it, it's what that really does is it liberates us from tyranny right because in that normative principle where uh where you know the, the regular principle being we're only to do that which is which is uh expressly expressly or implicitly um uh, revealed to us in scripture normative principle being um as long, we can do anything we want as long as it's not prohibited so we so for instance we could take the lord's supper with um you know a, a coke zero and peanuts if we wanted to because it doesn't say you can't do that right um <laughs> it doesn't say you can't do that in 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 the bible so it, but that's that's tyrannical to do that 
like that uh, to 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 have and i don't know of any church that does that i mean even the craziest ones but uh, it, you know coke zero and and peanut doing doing really what we please as long as it's not prohibited in scripture it is is tyrannical um because it's binding the conscience and requiring uh people to do certain things that the scripture hasn't commanded them to do it's actually a form of legalism so we think of the regular principle being very being strict because we're like confined to scripture but you're going to be confined to another law if you're not if you're not uh, shaped by scripture and the other law is going to be the laws of man uh that that bind your conscience so you're going to have to you know it, it's just a, a way of worshiping uh, um, that is that is not prescribed in scripture and i think that is something that uh you know we do well to avoid so that our consciences are free like th there's a whole section in the the confession on on um on christian liberty you know the religious liberty and and it's and and what that is is you know we see in the the confession where where it says that god alone is lord of the conscience and has left it free from the doctrines and commandments of men which are in any way um uh you know in addition to or in violation of the word of god to us so when yeah. your conscience is bound by scripture, and this is true for all of life, right? This is true not just for as we worship on the Lord's Day, but in all of life. When your conscience is bound by scripture, that's freeing, that's liberating, because it's the Lord who loves us and who is uh, is always seeking our good. He's not just seeking his glory, he's seeking our good. Um, you know, that that's what that's what's liberating, that's what's freeing. Yes. Right. And so to think of some like some things that are not allowed in reformed worship for that, that may you may see in, in some denominations or churches like drama, mm -hmm. right? like plays in the middle of the worship service mm -hmm. to try to illustrate mm -hmm. some gospel principle, mm -hmm. um, even liturgical dance. And that one is very sensitive uh, for a lot of people because, well, dance is worship. I I, I agree. You can dance unto the Lord. I, I know David danced unto mm -hmm. the Lord, but corporate worship has boundaries to it. And for the most part in, in, in reformed worship, I know you mentioned last week, there's a dialogical uh, nature to mm -hmm. it. Um, but people, everybody needs to be engaged. And so when we're praying, even though there's somebody leading the prayer, we're praying with the person. Right. When we're singing songs, it's not a performance by a bunch of people that we are observing. We are raising our voices and they are helping being a song leader, you know, right. and we even see that in the Psalms. There's, there's song leaders and musicians. And, and so, um, but watching a, a dance or a drama removes that. And then you could say, well, I'm, I'm enjoying the gifts that the Lord has put in the body. And, and I said, well, that's, there's of course a place for that. All of life is worship right. and we ought to enjoy the arts and we ought to uh, be amazed at God's gifts for people. But that is not a part of a corporate gathered worship. It can be part of other kinds of corporate gatherings. Um, we just had a variety show the other night. Um, we will have a, probably a Christmas concert where there will be other types of things. But 
corporate gathered worship is a time for the ordinary means of grace, which is this other concept that we've we've discussed, which is word, sacrament, prayer. Um, I say fellowship, yeah. but people say, well, it takes place in the context of fellowship. But right. Um, and and so. Can you think of any anything else, by the way, that you've seen some kind of novelty or imagination of men that have made their way into worship because a church doesn't have the guardrails or the boundaries that we have? Drama and and and, and liturgical dance is typically the. Sure, sure. There, there are. Um, I mean, you even think of something very innocuous that you would do in in. Um, as you gather, you know, something like, uh, like making an announcements about, you know, the, the church, like the youth group bowling night in the middle of the, the, the worship service. Right. I mean that. A lot so, of churches do it. Oh yeah. Probably most. And because, yeah. you know, and it's a practical reason because people are there. Right. But, um, that's not really an element of worship, uh, you know, to, to, you know, have, five, 10 minutes of, of church announcements in the, in the worship service, um, because it, you know, it, I mean, where do you see that in scripture? Right. And there's a reason for it. There's a reason for it. It, it disrupts the, it, it, the flow. It, there, there's something, there's something, you know, that's, that's outside. Those are all activities outside of the time of, of just, uh, focusing our entire attention on the Lord. Like we need volunteers for, um, you know, the, 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 you know, taking the, the trash out to the dumpster after the worship service. I mean, that's, you know, they'll and, say, people will say you that. You can have that right after you've just, just saying, holy, holy, holy. <laughs> I mean, you know, I know. But, that, but right. that sort of thing happens all the time. So, I mean, that's, that's even something like that uh, would, would play into it. I, I, I think as well. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's why I always say it because it's hard. Like you, you're right. That is the one time a week when we all gather and we're sitting there. And so there's, there's often other things that we feel like we need to do. And for me, the guardrails are call to worship and benediction. Mm -hmm. And so like when I got here, they used to have announcements in the middle of the service and it was so it just was discouraging to me because we would have just sang praises to God and we'd hear a scripture reading and then suddenly we're talking about the and things now, that you're mentioning. Yeah. Now we're going to hear know. about the pot. Right. And so, and so what, what we, so, what we have there is, is this distinction that we also need to, to keep in tension of the, the, the broad and the narrow and the public and the private, right? Because even in your own life, there are, there's, there's a, clothing and behaviors that you would have within the confines of your home that are completely appropriate and God-honoring that would not be appropriate uh, outside of your home. Well, <laughs> does that make sense? Uh, sure. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, that public-private distinction. So um, a behavior in one context, an action in one context is not necessarily appropriate in another context and that's something that we keep in mind there there's the there's the the broad principles of of worship in all of life and then there's the the narrow as we 
worship together on the the Lord's Day in in those respects. So, but I think I think that one of the best arguments you've made so so far in this, or one of the something I want to highlight is you talked about the the Lord of the conscience and hurting people's conscience. Mm-hmm. When when we bring novelty into worship, and that's what I'm calling mm-hmm. a lot of what people try to do in the middle of a worship service. Mm-hmm. You actually, like you said, you talk about the tyranny of that and all that, but you, you're you're actually binding and hurting somebody's conscience because when, like, we believe, we as Christians, there is an obligation to the Lord's Day corporate worship. The Bible says not to neglect it, you know? And so you're there, and now something is occurring that you don't believe, that somebody doesn't believe ought to be occurring in worship, and they are, in a sense, bound to be there for that. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a grieving of of their conscience, a hurting of their conscience, and mm-hmm. so the the guardrails are are helpful. And the question is, do we believe in God's in in the means of grace in in the mm-hmm. ordinary means mm-hmm. of grace that God works through what to the world seems to be ordinary, and yes. yet uh, that is where His work is most powerful, and so much of evangelicalism is about the extraordinary and the experiential and god i i say i mean god can work through the extraordinary and we love to see when he does i've seen mm-hmm. miracles in my own life that i'm convinced of mm-hmm. that he worked in extraordinary ways mm-hmm. but more often than not how he builds faith and how we experience god is through the ordinary things that he's given us a word sacrament prayer uh fellowship in the body and right. so there, there is this desire to make worship more meaningful. I don't know how you make it more meaningful than word, sacrament, prayer, and fellowship in the body. And we see it again in First Corinthians where there's chaos going on in the church, and Paul rebukes it. Right. He rebukes right. the chaos. And in a lot of churches, there it's become entertainment in our country, and we need to rightly call call it out but we also need to be grateful for the pca and and what is for the most part most churches trying to honor god in this in this regard yeah right right i think that um in broad you know in evangelicalism you'll you'll hear uh many churches saying calling their worship it's no longer it's not a worship service uh which you mentioned in our last episode, the 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 rendering of our service to God, uh, the rendering of our of our um, you know expressing our our faith and obedience to God and and really doing what worship is, which is giving the glory to His name. Um, the, there's a the movement away from that to the term worship experience, yeah. which you know you go to a you go to a a, a, a a concert or a national park or a vacation or a sporting event or a movie or, you know, you go to all sorts of different things in order to have an experience, which is fine. Okay. But the point is, is that we not, we, we should not confuse the, the, what worship is with the byproducts of it. Does that make sense? So we should, as we, as we encounter God through 
through the the reading and preaching of his word through the singing of his praises with songs that are that are biblically formed um and the confession of, of sins and the assurance of pardon that that ought to that ought to affectively move us that ought to move our emotions that ought to shape our desires that ought to to um, equip us to worship him in all of life with not just a mind for truth but a heart for him right like a uh, like a, yes. an affective but but it when you when you put the, the when you make how people feel being the 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 marker of success you know if the marker of a success of a of successful worship is i want people to leave here feeling feeling inspired and encouraged and empowered um rather than the top priority of worship being giving god the glory due his name worshiping him in the splendor of holiness faithfully bringing the word of god to bear upon the people of god and make and seeing to it that our worship is pleasing and honoring to god then then you've got everything switched upside down right. that and they're mean, not again that does not mean that we don't care about the emotions and we're just the frozen chosen presbyterians not at all what it means is that our the, that our affections have a foundation to so that that when the when the the hurricane comes into our life and when temptation comes to us that we actually worship him in all of life in ways that are uh, that that are glorifying to God edifying to us and loving to our neighbor no, that's right. They're not, it's not mutually exclusive. It's not, again, it's, uh, mm -hmm. what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And and so mm -hmm. as we glorify him and and seek to honor him in all things mm -hmm. in worship and, and to the best of our spirit-empowered faith-grounded uh, mm -hmm. ability, do that to his glory, worship, it will affect us emotionally. And, and I think... You know, mm -hmm. next week we're going to talk about order of worship and the components of worship separate from the ordinary means of, of, of grace. I mean, they include the ordinary means of grace are built into those things. But like the things you said about confession of sin and assurance of pardon, there is a trajectory to reformed worship. There actually is a liturgy even to the most uh, low church. And I don't say that as, as a, I mean, that's, there's high church and there's low church. You know, even a, a worship service that is a few songs and a, and a message, there is a trajectory to that. And that's, by the way, why I'm against putting announcements in the middle of the service. Why would we want to ruin that trajectory by like taking a commercial? It's like we put a commercial in the middle of, of worship, you know, but like I can think of no, nothing more. You see, you mentioned affective uh, as in the affections, not mm -hmm. effective, but in, in, in affect, uh, affectedness, if that's a word, uh, mm -hmm. then singing rich theological songs as a people together. Like, yeah, it's a drag when people aren't singing, but if, as one voice, the church comes together and proclaims the glory. I mean, do you know how that pleases your father? And then we pray and we repent and then we sit down and our 
fed by the word. And by the way, when we're singing, we're being fed by the fed by the word. If the if the if there's the right theology and uh, mm -hmm. gospel um, message in those songs, and then we're fed by the word, and you leave empowered. And when people come to a church that is focused on the primacy of the preaching of the word, they they typically stay because mm -hmm. they're like they don't. Why do we want the fluff? And yeah, so. Right. Just to bring it full circle, this is what sets us up for the week. We drag ourselves into church on a Sunday morning, and oftentimes we might not want to go. Oftentimes we might not want to see those people. Oftentimes there's whatever, but we do it. And when we get outside of ourselves and into his story, into glorifying him as his people, despite differences and whatever else, and suddenly for a moment, we have forgotten about ourselves because there's something so much bigger that we are a part of. It just sets us up for the rest of the week. It's like our tank is full and now we go out, we live it in the week. You yeah. Know? That's right. So that's those right. are my final words on that there. That's that's a good final word. I'm looking forward to talking about, um, you know, the uh, kind of more the the specifics of of corporate worship. Um, you know, we'll, we'll get into discussions about the elements of worship, the forms that they ought to take. Um, good. Uh, yeah. And, and the circumstances around them, that the, that kind of uh, category, those categories which I think, you know, music is always a question that people have uh, about worship. And I think that'll be a, a very interesting discussion for us to have about uh, about song, about worship, uh, uh, music in, in worship. Um, but I'm looking forward to, to talking about this further. And I really just hope that it, that this helps, uh, you know, helps our listeners to, to savor who God is, because that's ultimately the goal. We want to, we want to enjoy Him. We want to taste and see that the Lord is good, 